I wanted to do something different. We'll see how it goes, right? And so the hope would be that it would be a, a really practical series, a really applicable series. And then this is where you all come in, a communal series. Because this is not about me coming up here and telling you what you should do and giving you the, the next, all the next steps of your life, and then you go out and say, well, pastor said do this, and pastor said do that. That's how this is about. This is about a group project. Okay? It's about what we are going to do in our lives. You know a reality about your life? I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but no one knows, no person knows your life as well as you do. Like, I don't know your life that well. I can't speak authoritatively into your life. And even if I was in there with you, I would give you terrible advice, right? Like, you know how I know? Because I give myself terrible advice all the time. We don't want to do that. And so what we're going to do instead is like a group project. We're going to say, hey, what do we want in 2020? Who would we want to be? And I said, no person knows you that well. But we believe something fundamental about your created nature is that there's a God who made you who knit you together and knows you intimately and knows those things. He's got the great advice, not me. His word is the great wisdom, not ours. And then we can choose to live that out or not live that out, but at least we know, at least we have some input from a quality source. And so that's what we're going to do as we kind of jump into uh, this new series called Habits. That's what we're hoping to do anyway. I, I wonder, though, as we get started in 2020, I've already been a little hyped about it, you can tell, right? How many of you... Uh, get excited about a new year. Remember, this is a group project, so this is our, there, a few of you are with me, a few of you. How many of you are excited? If you're not, keep your hands down. If you're like, oh, if you're excited about the new year, everybody get excited? Uh, yeah, that's what I figured, about half, a little less than half, right? That's about how that goes. Uh, how, how many are not excited about a, a new year? You can raise your hand, it's okay. All right, and the rest of you just don't, you're just non-committing either way. Amen. You're not going to hit me into a decision this early in the service. I get it. Fair enough. All right. What we're going to do, we always do, we're going to pray. Man, we pray this because even though I'm going to be here talking, I don't want to be my wisdom or my ideas. I want it to be God's wisdom and God's ideas, right? So we're going to pray that he would be our teacher today. And even if you go, man, this guy is a goofball, but God is not. And so let God be your instructor today as we gather together to hear from him. He is more than capable to do it. You know, the Bible says that if you ask God for wisdom, he's pleased to give it to you. You know, it says that the wisest person to ever live was wise because he asked God for wisdom. He's the wisest person to ever live because he asked God for that, that, that blessing. Would you bless? And he got, you know what it says? He got everything else because he had wisdom. Everything in his life was blessed because he was wise. So let's pray for God's wisdom this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the chance we've had to come in here and worship you this first Sunday of 2020. It is exciting, Lord, to, to see your faithfulness in 2019, 2018, 2017, the 2000s, the 1990s, and way, way before, Father. You've been faithful. You've been planning things for us. You've been working in our lives. And you've been loving us, as Emily said so well, in spite of our own sinfulness. You've been loving us toward this moment. I pray, Father, that as we come into your house today, we would just have an openness to your Holy Spirit, that we would be willing to listen to you and learn from you. And Father, I say this all the time, but I don't have wisdom of my own. Everything I have of value, you have given to me, and that's true for all of our friends here, that you've given us your great gift in Jesus Christ. And so today I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit be our teacher. I pray that we would learn about the God-made flesh, the God amongst us, the God whose kingdom reigns now. And I pray, Father, that in this day, we could just be open and make Maybe we feel close to you today, and boy, praise you, Father, for that. Maybe we feel far from you and kind of forgotten. Father, we cry out to you in that. But no matter what, we know we can trust you. 
You are a good God, and you love your people. You're constantly demonstrating your loving kindness every morning, including today. Would you help us to learn from you, though? As we get into this next four-week series, Father, I pray that uh, your wisdom would become our habits, that we would be changed because we've applied the things you've taught and not just left them on a shelf, but lived it out as you've led us. May you be glorified as your people follow you. And we all say, amen. All right, so, so this first week, in the, by the way, um, Dale was mentioning Bible app, which is kind of funny, because that's owned by a church, if you didn't know that, and that church is actually Life Church. Our curriculum this morning, not the, not the sermon itself, you can't blame them for that, but the artwork and stuff is from Life Church, surprisingly enough. They, they share all their materials. It's super awesome, so I didn't make that video. I mean, I confess this, right? I didn't create this artwork, but uh, it's a blessing to have people in the kingdom who are willing to share openly for the gifts that God's given them. So praise God uh, for the folks who do that. I don't know, uh, this first week, though, we're doing our kind of own thing here, and I, I wanted to say um, this idea of looking back or looking, of looking back while moving forward, right? That was this, hung up on this first week, looking, because to me it seems so soon to jump in. I know some of you are probably already, come on, get to the habits, get to the habits. We will, we'll get to the habits. But I was wondering about a, a primary habit that many of us might have, which is a tendency to look back versus a tendency to look forward. And that was the first thing I want to talk about with you this morning. I was wondering, um, how, we already asked the question about how many's excited, but how many, how many of you um, are kind of like, like leaning into 2020? You're like ready to go. How many, let me ask it this way. How many of you, every time this year, you get excited for no good reason? You just get a little too excited? A few of you? Like, like, you see the possibilities are endless. You see the Etch-A-Sketch has been shaken, right? Um, that's kind of how I am. That's how I am. I, 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 Chris Robart, somewhere, he's here somewhere this morning. He was, he was pointing out, yeah, he's in there. He was pointing out to me the other day. He goes, you get this way every, this, every time of the year this year. I'm like, I'm so glad you're in my life long enough to tell me that. Because I don't have awareness about this. But that there's this time of year where I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. The possibilities are limitless. We can do anything. How many of you are still like, you know, looking, thinking about how 2019 didn't exactly go according to plan? How many of you? Yeah, some of you, right? Uh, this is my, my bride, Chris. She actually, she actually has a real hard time getting hyped about 2020. Cause she's like, really? Because, you know, did you see how that went? The last time you were excited like this? And I go, not well. <laughs> yeah, not well. <laughs> um, how many of you like to make news resolutions? We talked about New Year's, but how many of you like to make news resolutions? Hardly any of you? Is that true? Yeah, how many of you have made them in the past? I would think almost everyone has made them in the past, right? There's this thing that says, what is it like? Um, most of them are, you quit by the time you are, are uh, mid-February. Six weeks. You're, you're doing super good if you made it six weeks with your resolution, whatever it is. I was surprised, I did a little research on this, and I was surprised to find, not surprised, I guess this is kind of typical stuff, right? But I was surprised that most popular, the most popular resolutions this year was um, exercise more. By the way, I like the way that's couched. It doesn't say exercise every day, it's just exercise more. So if you didn't get off the couch at all last year, Take a walk today, mission accomplished. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You've done it. Congratulations, you're a winner, right? So, um, so just start slow. And then next year you say exercise more and walk twice. Hey, you know, progress. Uh, here's another one. It's, uh, the second was um, save money. To save some money in 2020. That rhymes. 
Uh, I, I want to say real quick, and uh, Nate promoted it up here, but man, FPU, we'll talk about it in a minute in the sermon too, but FPU, what a blessing. And I was one of those guys that sat where you were, and I said, this is a scam. It's, it's shenanigans. It's taking advantage of the church. I couldn't have been more wrong. So praise God. But maybe you want to save some more money. That's uh, 50%, by the way, want more exercise. 49% of people want to save some money in 2020. Um, and then the last two are kind of similar. To eat healthy, 43%, and to lose weight, 37%. Those are, those are kind of exercise-related too, right? Like, if you think about the top four, it's three of, three of the four are about kind of our health and our well-being. These are things that people think about. If you haven't noticed, have you noticed all the spin commercials on TV? Everyone's skinny on a bike, and they're all riding these bikes, and they're not going anywhere. You, I can't believe how many people you can cram into a room on a bicycle and they're jerking these things around and they're not moving. They're not moving. I'm a, I used to bike ride, like, you know, distance ride. And that was, you know, the, the road, the, the wind. The, it was all discouraging, but it was awesome. But I, I, I don't know I want to be that close to that many sweaty people. It looks kind of awkward. Maybe you love spin. Hey, praise God if you love spin. Good for you. Maybe, you, maybe your goal is to be hard to meet this year because you're already doing spin already in your whole life, right? Pretty crazy. How about this, though? Um, oh, by the way, uh, there was a, a computer, you know those computer dialers? There was a computer dialer that called people and asked them to make a selection about their top resolution for 2020. So it was like real time, they produced the data, and um, the, uh, the number one resolution was to keep your resolution. Because everyone felt like you did, like, we didn't do this good last time, you know, so let's get it better this time. Um, how many of you, I was talking to a friend this week, and they told me they pray for a word. How many of you pray for a word for the year? One, two, yeah, a couple people. Now, that's something I hadn't heard of before. They're like, what's your word? I'm like, what? They're like, I pray for word. You know what my word is? I'm like, nope. They told me their word. What's your word? I'm like, I don't, I don't have a word. I'll start praying about that. I don't, I don't have a word. I mean, maybe I do. You know, I don't, I don't well, That's something some people do. They want to pray for a word. That, that kind of spiritualizes the, re the resolution in a way that says, well, it's God. He's leading me toward this kind of thing. This is my one focus for the year my word. You see, here's the truth. Um, my experience of goals has not been good. I don't know if you're like that, but, but my experience of goals has often been I set goals and then I fail at the goals. And, and therefore, I figured out a solution to failing at goals. Stop setting goals. Anybody feel that way? Like if you, if you, if you're, if you're, if you can't keep missing and you keep missing, you know what you can do? You can just say, I'm not even going to try to hit it. And this happens many times in our lives, so we just stop trying. And I get so frustrated. I'm like, well, what, what is it about goals that I can't get there? What is it about goals that we can't achieve it? Listen to me. You, you could say it's a Bill Dempsey problem, but I just told you that most people will fail at their goals within six weeks. Some of us have failed already. It's day five. We're off the wagon, <laughs> right? And then there's something about missing a goal like that where you set out and you're like feeling your oats. You're like, we're going to do this, 2020. And then like day five, you're like, oh, I failed already. That you feel like no matter what you do, you're already behind. You've already screwed it up. Uh, no matter how good it goes from that point forward, you, you've messed up the year. How do you go back? What does that look like? I said I didn't do very well at goals, but that's not totally true. I remember two experiences I've had where I was told one was in a college class and one was at a, at a, um, a, uh, a camp we were doing with kids. We were telling the kids this, but we did it because we're adults and you participate, right? And it says, in five years, I will be dot, dot, dot. And he said, fill out the form. You know, both times I filled that out, it actually happened, but I forgot I filled it out. And it wasn't until later, I was like digging through my junk because I'm a bit of a hoarder, and I found it, and I'm like, oh, that actually happened. 
in five years. How could I have known that? But it wasn't a goal I set and kind of put in front of me. It was like some sense of where I, I had where I was going, right? It was something bigger. I thought, yeah, in five years, I want to be debt-free. Or in five years, I want to be, you know, a pastor or missionary. That was one of mine, a pastor or missionary, which I thought both were ridiculous when I wrote it down. I didn't think that was in the cards for me. But I look back, I'm like, wow, wow. So, so there's opportunities like that that maybe do work, but here, here's something else. So I was talking to some friends, and they were struggling with change. And they were dear, dear friends of mine. And we, were, we would pray, we would meet together, we'd say, God, just help, help, help us change this, help us. And I, and I began to get frustrated with my friend. I began to think, How, why can't you change this? It's so obvious what you need to do. And I began in my heart, and this is confessional, and this is not, there's no point of pride for me, it's a point of failure. I, I was like, I was like, what do you call it? Getting impatient. Why can't you just change? You know, many times it's not us that we say that way, but it's somebody else. You know, they'd be great if they would change this thing, right? And then you watch me say, ah, well, guess what? So I was praying for my friend. And I'm like, God, what's going on? I'm so frustrated. And then God's like, change something about yourself. You know, and I'm, this is, by the way, what I said is going to be a little different because it's going to be very personal maybe in some ways. And hopefully that's not inappropriate. I ask you to all keep me accountable on this. But I don't want to think, so the Lord said, change something. Just pick something and change it. If it's so easy to change, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Change something. And so, you know, I picked being late. Because if you know me, you know I have a tendency to be late. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be on time. That's what I'm going to change. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be on time. <laughs> For three weeks, that's what I thought would be a good start. Three weeks on time. You know what? At three weeks, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated. And the Lord's like, now how easy is it to change? How easy is it to change? I'm like, yeah, it's not. So why are you impatient with your friends? Yeah, I'm sorry. Fail. Failed. Now, can, can God do these things? Absolutely. Does he have the power to change my friend's life? Absolutely. Does he have a power to make me on time? That'd be a miracle, but absolutely, right? But there's these things. And so then I started thinking about all these things. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's not so much uh, goals, but maybe it's processes, Maybe it's habits. Now, here's what's really messed up. As I got ready to come this morning and share with you, there's been so many things that I've seen that is like habits are everywhere. Habits are everywhere, right? I want to talk to you about three major things in my own life, and this is not me saying you should do the same things, but I, want to, I, I began to take an inventory, and there were three things. Well, there's four things, but three of the things that, that have changed my life, and as I looked at them, I'm like, you know what it is, though? It's habit. It's not that I made a decision, a goal for a year, for a month. We used to do Team 619 in Family Bible Church, and we would run that program for a few weeks, or a few months, I should say, and, and we would yo-yo diet, right? But it was crazy, because all the same people who would get on it and lose weight would gain weight back when they got off the, off the diet, right? Why? Because it wasn't a real implemented change. It wasn't enduring. It was just a temporary thing. It wasn't a process. It was a temporary goal. And so I started thinking about these three. Here, here's, here's what I, I, I thought of. The first is uh, Financial Peace University. I think I, I mentioned that. I know I mentioned it, but I want to say to you that I started at Financial Peace University 16 years ago. It was before I was a pastor of Family Bible Church. So probably 15, 14, 15 years ago. And like Nathan said to you, we took the class again and again, and we kept realizing we were teaching the class, and then people would say, no, wait a minute. You've been teaching this for you know, six years, right? Yeah. Aren't you doing this? And we're like, no, <laughs> no, we need to, you're right. And we would implement that. And so it was practice, fail, practice, fail, continue, 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 right? Am I just promoting FPU? No. But guess what it is? It's the habit of meeting monthly with my bride to talk about what we're going to do with our money every month, 
And you think it's weird, but every month we have a budget meeting in our house. <laughs> Nobody likes it. <laughs> Nobody likes it, but it's a habit. Can't pay bills till the budget's done. The bills start to go past due if you don't do the budget. So you've got to do the budget and pay the bills. We built in a habit. One of the things about the FPU class, they say, they used to do a 13-week class, now they do a nine-week class. They say, if you don't um, do it, it ain't going to matter. Because it's not an issue of knowledge. We all know how money works. It's not that hard. You have to earn more than you spend. Simple math, right? There's no other th thing that works here. But when, whenever you are um, not focusing on what you're supposed to be doing there, then it, it, can, it can just go off the rails. You're not trying to do anything on purpose. And so it's a habit of getting into, of accountability, of recurring commitment. Uh, you know what I'm saying? An enduring commitment. And it's not instant anything. You go, wow, how'd you get to that place in life? Oh, 15 years of monthly meetings. That's a long time. Uh, the second thing I thought of, and some of you know about me, is um, I did a little keto thing a while ago. And I'm not talking so much about keto because I don't care about keto. But one of the things that struck me about keto was I changed the way I ate. And I changed it on a whim. It was actually on Brittany's birthday. We were out at um, a rail shake on the side patio there by the trains. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and I just decided, I had heard this thing, and I said, you know what? I'm going to have a cheeseburger with uh, bacon and no bun. And they said fries. And I said, nope. And Chris, my wife, looks at me and goes, What? I'm like, I don't talk about it. I didn't think it was going to work. People began, then it started to work, and people began to freak out. What are you doing? What diet, what diet are you on? You know what's so funny to me? I picked up some language. I don't know how this happened, but it was such a blessing. Is I kept saying to them to the, this, to, they would say, what diet are you on? I'd say, it's not a diet. It's a, huh? It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. You see? I didn't do that on purpose. But you, begun, you began to recast a long-term vision. This isn't, I started, then I started seeing the studies. Maybe you saw them, oh, this is bad for you and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know what they keep saying about the studies? The reason it's bad for you is you can't do it long-term. That's because people don't plan to do it long-term. They're like, I'm going to do a six-week crash diet, and then I'm going to be super fit for my bathing suit in the summer, and then I'm going to be a you know, monster by fall. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that. Like, I get it. But now, listen to me. And this is not about keto particularly. It's about anything you choose to do. Going back begins to come, starts to become unthinkable. I was visiting with a friend of mine. I had very limited food choices. And I had to eat hot dogs out of a vending machine. And it came with two buns on two hot dogs for $5. <laughs> and I was in this environment where this is all I'm going to get to eat. And I'm like, I'm going to have to eat the bread. And it was a mess. And then you know what? In the moment, I started to eat it, and I just couldn't. I just had to peel that bread off, eat that hot dog by itself. And my friend's like, you're so weird. I'm like, I just can't do it. Why not? Because it's a lifestyle. I've committed to a change. I can't go back. It's a process. Let me tell you something else about the, the lifestyle change. I'll, I'll tell you um, one more thing, but one more experience I've had. Um, the process is different because guess what? One beautiful thing I've realized early on, people would say, oh, you can't eat that. I'm like, I can eat anything I want but I don't want to. And if I did, I could start again tomorrow, and it's perfectly fine. You see, I think there's something about goals that we think, oh, we failed at the goal, now you failed. But if you say it's not a goal, but it's a lifestyle, and one day you mess up your lifestyle, the next day you can get back on your lifestyle. You can go, I screwed up yesterday, but I'm back on track. I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to keep doing it. And, it and, and I don't know what it is about the lifestyle change, but it becomes a grace to you. It becomes a way forward. Let me tell you the third way I've seen this happen. And this is your fault. Last year, I got a conviction, Bible 365. Now, I, I, full disclosure, I had tried to read the Bible in a year, 
uh, twice before this. I don't know if you ever try to read the Bible in a year, and you go, well, you're a pastor. Of course you can read the Bible in a year. Guess it, t- it still takes the same kind of commitment out of a pastor as does anybody else, right? It's 15 minutes every day, but it's every day. You guys know I traveled a lot this year, and I had to do that all, everywhere I was in the world. I had to be reading the Bible, and this is why it's your fault. I had to be tweeting out at 5 in the morning, this time, the scripture for the day. So not only did I have a commitment to read the scriptures, but I had a commitment to, to disseminate the scriptures for anyone who might still be following along. And I didn't know who those folks were. I know some of you did. Praise God. I know some of you did it. But I, I blame, and I, someone said, congratulations on reading the Bible in a year, and I said, I blame the church. Because it was your fault. Because I was like committed to you. That kind of shows that there's a, something about service, about being beyond ourselves, that forces us to comply with a goal that on our own we might fail at. I wouldn't have done it. I know this because I've tried it twice. I usually get about three-fourths through, and I just can't continue. And I have the excuse. I used to start in Genesis. I had the excuse. Well, I've, obviously, I've read the New Testament before. But the truth is that many times I, hadn't, I, I just didn't have the confidence I had read every word of God's word. Oh, let me tell you something else about this habit. Uh, it's 2020. Mission accomplished. January 1st, 5 in the morning. I felt like, why aren't I sending out a tweet? This is weird. Second, I talked to a friend of mine. She's like, yeah, me too. Feels weird. I want to keep reading it. Day three, I'm like, something doesn't feel right. What's going on? I'm like, I did it. It's mission accomplished. Guess what? I couldn't stand it. I went back and I started reading. Bam, 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 bam. Yes, yes. Why? It's become a habit for me to read the scriptures every day. That, that, that 15 minutes every morning, it's been a habit. And so you know what I had to do? I had to, like, I had to catch up. I had to read four days. Just read them. Yesterday, I caught all up. Woo! And it felt right. What is it? It was like an old pair of shoes. I'd gotten used to it. I'd walked in the word. And then all of a sudden, you go, wait a minute. I'm going to live for a while. i got to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm like, yeah, I might. It's a lifestyle change. I'm just telling you, it's a blessing. But it's a process, and it's not one thing it's not one goal or one big commitment, but it's these, these little refinements as we go. See, the question is not, are you going to have habits? The question is, what kind of habits are you going to have? That's the truth. You're going to do things automatically, and we'll see that in the series, I think. If you, I'm going to ask you, as you go through your life, take an inventory of the things that you do automatically. Just write them down. I woke up this morning, I automatically grabbed my phone. I went and I took a shower automatically, thank God, right? <laughs> um, brush my teeth, right? There's things you do automatically. Get a cup of coffee, uh, drive to work, drive home, do these things. They're automatic things. The question is not what will you have habits, but what kind of habits will you have? Well, this leads us then into our scripture, and, and I know it's a long intro, but I, I wanted to kind of flesh this out a little bit and say, how does this really work and what it's really about? Well, the Apostle Paul, if you don't know, he's one of the great kind of figures in church history, and he was changed by Jesus Christ. He was a, a, a righteous Jew. He was a law-abiding Jew, and then he met Jesus, and his life changed, and, and he, he was completely transformed. And I love this, but in... Um, let me see if I have mine marked here. In Philippians uh, 3, Paul says this, 3, 13, and 14. Um, he says, I, I, by the way, I love this because this is what Paul says. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. It what? Resurrection power, the fullness of the gospel. He's just talked about how all his legalism, all his righteousness was worthless before Jesus Christ. But even after all that, he kind of has this great proclamation of who God is and all God has done. Paul says this, but brothers and sisters, I have not yet considered uh, myself to have taken hold of it. Paul says, I'm not done yet. 
I'm not done yet. I'm going to read the rest of it, and then we'll talk about it. Um, for, but forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press forward in the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right? So Paul says, I can say all this stuff about how much God has changed my life. I can say how beautiful his holiness is and how he's righteous beyond measure. But the truth is that I have not arrived yet. You know, one of my experiences early in ministry was I got to sit with some older saints. They were like older saints. And I was a youth pastor at the time. And I would have them come in, and I asked them a question when they came and talked to my students. I would say this, tell me when you knew you arrived as a believer in Jesus Christ. And you know, not one of the saints said, I have. Everyone at the, you know, age of like 70s and 80s was like, I'm not there yet. I'm still on the journey. And that gave me so much encouragement and I hope it gave my youth encouragement that you don't have to have it all figured out. There's this burden we've put on our kids to know things when they're 13 and 14 and 15 years old, to have your whole life mapped out by the time you're 18. That's not how it works. Paul says, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it. So what does he do instead? So if you don't think you're finished work yet, what does Paul say he does? He forgets what is behind. He's just going to let go of the past. Paul. I mean, Paul's got a great track record. Paul's had a bunch of success. If anybody could rest on the laurels of what he's done before, it could be Paul. He could be like, man, 2019, I killed it. I'm just going to coast in 2020. And he says, no, I've not yet taken hold of it, so instead I'm going to forget what is behind. Family Bible Church leadership team, I think we're meeting this week, I believe, our leadership team, um, Wednesday night. And we were talking at the end of 2019, and this came up. And one of our leaders said, we need to forget the past and move on. And it wasn't surprising the leaders had something in our meeting, but like two of the leaders were like, yes. And I'm like, wow, what is that? What is it that we need to forget the past and move on? And that's not to say we're going to like ignore who we were or not praise God for his faithfulness, but forget the past and move on. What would be so wrong at looking at the past? Paul says to forget it is to overlook it, to fail to notice it, to not, to not, um, to not dwell on it. That's what it means to ignore it, to neglect it. Why? For the sake of the future. To neglect the past for the sake of the future. Why would this be a problem? Well, there's this great story in the Bible, and uh, it's captured in Genesis, and it's Genesis 2. Um, it's on page 12 if you want to use one of our Bibles, and we're not going to walk through this word for word. That's why I said this is a little different than what we've done before. I'm sorry, it's Genesis 19 on page 12, not Genesis 2. That'd be really early. <laughs> Genesis 19. And there's this story about there's evil in the world, and, and people are offending God deeply, right? And there's a story about a place. It's about a people in a place, and the place is called Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's people there that God is trying to rescue. And I'm going to kind of pick up, and I want to read a little bit around um, 1926. And so I'm going to read, um, let's see here, from, uh, let's read, I'm going to read from 12. You can turn if you want. Um, then the two men said to Lot, these two men, by the way, were angels. They were, they were kind of God's warriors. They were there to kind of sort out the evil happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the two men said to Lot, uh, do do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, uh, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against this people is so great that uh, he has sent us to destroy it. And so the angels are like, get going. Get out of here. This is bad for you. Move forward, right? Check this out. Um, so 
So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters, and he said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. This is what Lot says to his sons-in-law. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking around. And then in, in 15, uh, when, the coming, when the dawn had come, the angels urged Lot further, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters. Notice the sons-in-law are out now, right? They're, they're, they think it's a joke. God's not going to destroy this place. It's fine. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the coolest place to live. It's where all the hipsters are hanging out. You know what I mean? It's where the moving and shaking's happening. Well, then the next morning it says, they came back a lot and they said, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. You're going to get caught up in all of this if you don't move on. You're going to get stuck here. And look at verse 16 blows me away. When he hesitated, Lot, like, maybe? I mean, how crazy is it that Lot would run over to his sons-in-law and say, seriously, God's going to destroy the city, and then go back to his wife and his daughters like, it's good. And the angels come and say, hey, I'm serious, get out of here. And he's like, he's like maybe? I mean, I mean, maybe Lot's being influenced by his sons-in-law? He's like, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe God's not going to destroy the city. Maybe look at God's mercy. So he says, um, when he hesitated, the men grasped him by the hand and grabbed the hands of his wife and his two daughters, and he led them safely out of the city. So he basically was dragged out of the city. Like, not of their own, like, God's like, you're going to get out of here because I'm going to destroy the city. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. And he says, um, uh, let's see, and led them out of the city as the Lord was, here's the word, merciful to them. Merciful to them. I'm going to pick it up in verse... um, Let's see. 24. Then the Lord, because there's some stuff in the middle there, we won't worry about it. Then, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah f- from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation of the land. So it was like a total destruction. And, and Lot and his wife and his daughters got to see that behind them, right? This is like the action movie where the hero's like running away from the explosion and it's going off in the background like, right? And in the middle there, by the way, we skipped his lot negotiating where he's going to go. <laughs> As he's being saved, he's negotiating with God where he's going to flee to because he don't want to flee to the mountains because it's scary. He's going to flee to a city. He likes this little town. He's got a little spot. But they finally leave. Now, here's the point though because I wanted to kind of give the full background of the text so you could say I'm not, uh, so you know I'm not being unfair to the text. But this is what the word says. Um, Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain and the vegetation of the land. 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She, she looked back. Um, why? I mean, this is, one of those verse, this is one of those verses that is troubling to me. I'm, I'm like, I'm like wh- why is she punished? Wh- what did she do? What is so wrong with looking back? I mean, if, 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 you, if you, there's this life behind you and it's not going perfectly and, and, and you know it's in, under God's judgment because of that, what is so wrong with looking back and, and why would it cost her her life? Why would it cause her to, to freeze uh, where she was? What does that mean? By the way, it could have just as easily been a lot. See, that's why I think we kind of maybe misread this a little bit. I mean, it's not in there, but, you know, like, like 
it's fair enough to say that Lot, this is almost the danger of it, is like Lot could have looked back. His daughters could have looked back. It was only his wife. And I think it's like, just circumstantially it was her that looked. I don't, this isn't about like wives looking back. That's not it at all. It's, it's like any one of them could have looked back. What would have been wrong with that? Well, in this case, the first thing about it in their situation is God said, don't look back. We didn't read it, but it is in there where it says, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, in verse 17, maybe I did read it and I just didn't catch it. As soon as he said, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. So they were given instructions, don't look back. We're, we're going forward. I'm going to save you. Don't look back, right? So that's one reason that it was bad. But, but, here's, but then I'm like, well, but why else is it bad? Let's think about it just a little bit. Life in Sodom and Gomorrah was all Lot and his family had ever known. I mean, since they had been there. This is what I would say about it. It was comfortable there. What is it that we have a tendency to look at our own past and go, do you remember how good it was way back when? We idealized it, and we just go, gosh, it was so much simpler before fill in the blank. What is it? Because it's the comfort of what we know. Now, this is the crazy thing I want you to think about. But is it possible that we are more comfortable returning to things that we know than following an active and living God? Is it more comfortable that we would just stay complacent in our lives, we've done it before, we've always done it this way, versus saying, yeah, we did it that way, but God's going to lead us somewhere else, and we're going to follow him, whatever that looks like. There's a great comfort, because it's all we've known. Maybe try to recreate comfortable experiences from your past. Maybe you think you're going to go back to the way things were. That's not how life works. Here's something else. Why is it bad to look back? Because if we're looking back, we're defining our priorities as in the past. I mean, if, think about this for a moment. No matter what happens, if we're spending our lives looking backwards instead of forward, we're spending our lives looking back, we're basically saying the past is more important than the future. How do you know? Because I'm paying attention to it. I'm not looking forward to where I need to go. I'm not watching the road ahead so I don't crash. I'm looking backwards because that's the most important thing in my whole life. Everything else that's possible, listen to me, every other possibility in the world that God could bring to me is out there. But I'm looking back here because that's all I've known and I'm more comfortable here and this is my priority. Sorry, Jesus, can't, I gotta, what about the rich young ruler? Jesus said, what? Just go sell all you own and follow me. And he looked back and he's like, oh, I gotta go back. And he went back. Jesus said, it's tragic. How hard is it for a rich person to be saved? Why? Because you're going to go back to the comforts of your security, of your wealth, of your accomplishments, instead of forward with Jesus. What's the word say? He went away sad. He went back sad. What in the world? You know, many of us would hear that story and say, if I was the rich ruler, I'd have sold everything. I'm not so sure I would have. Man, that text gets me right here. I feel that sadness. Here's the, the other thing I think. Why is it so bad? And this is literally, literally manifests in Lot's wife's life. Um, we can get stuck in the past. I can't believe for a moment, church, hear me out. I can't believe for a moment that when Lot's wife turned for a glance, she didn't think she'd be able to look right back forward and keep going with her family, man, because she was saved. She was rescued. She was delivered. I can't help but think she thought, just one more look, one more glance, and then I'm going to go with my family into the promised land. And that one look back, that one glance back, she's stuck. She's frozen. The word says she became a pillar of salt. 
That means she's like a statue in the moment. Unless you think this is a euphemism for something else that happened to her, the story continues that Lot and his daughters took the journey without her. She was stuck right there. Everyone else moved on, but not Lot's wife. She was left there in the plains, a pillar of salt. You know what that kind of reminds me of? You know what? You ever been around? You've seen statues of people? It's to remind you of great or terrible things, right? She, she's, she's frozen in time because she's looking back. Listen, she's, she's, and she gets neither. She doesn't get to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's gone anyway. And she doesn't get to go forward with Jesus. She gets neither. And she's stuck there per, uh, perpetually in that position of looking back. You see, looking back can become an obsession. Listen to me. I sense it in myself. The tendency to look back. The tendency to ask. I don't know where we're going. I know where we were. You can become never satisfied, stuck in the past, never free, stuck in the past. And then the irony of ironies, she's salty. You know, the Bible says salt's a good thing, right? But man, salty. There, there's an idea of, we, we say that term these days, it, it's, it's um, bitter, right? Why are you so salty with me? I, I don't know, church, do you know people like this who are stuck in the past, who are bitter, who are angry, who are frustrated? The irony is this. Lot's wife was saved from destruction, but not saved at all. Why? Because she wasn't moving forward. Thinking about, so what does it mean anyway then? One final point here. When you're going forward, you need to look forward, right? There's this idea, you want to look where you want to go, right? There was this, I uh, have a, a, a little story here about um, a young woman that I know really well, and she was uh, in her car with a friend, and she was talking, and out of the corner of her eye, she thought a light turned green, and she went, and she smashed into the person in front of her. I don't know who that is, Olivia. Little fender bender. Hey, no big deal, no big deal. Oh, yeah, fair, fair. Unless you think I'm picking on her, but she had a little fender bender, full five mile an hour crash at stoplight. I said, What happened? She said, I thought the light turned out of my peripheral vision. And I go, You didn't look where you were going? I'm driving down the road, my wife in the car. I get a text. Here I go. Wah, 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 wah. She's like, Hey, watch where you're going. Like, I'm watching where I'm going, you know, poster going, phew, 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 phew. don't do that. That's a habit, isn't it? My phone goes off. I got to answer it. I was driving down the road the other day, and somebody's there steering wheel like this, just driving like that, like it's a video game. Goodness. We all do those things. I remember uh, one final story. I remember whenever I was a kid, uh, we were out, we were riding three-wheelers. Three-wheelers were a great idea because they had three wheels and they were easy to flip over. That's a fun little invention to make, right? Two-wheelers, fine. Four-wheelers, fine. Three-wheelers, have a blast, kids. And we were blasting down the road on a three-wheeler and we're riding like four kids on it, you know, three on the back, what was it, a manco thing? And one in the front, everybody's fighting over getting a turn to ride in the front. And everybody in the back's talking, having a good time. And whoever's in the front should be paying attention. But I was in the front. And so I'm driving, and they're talking. I'm like, hey, guys, blah, blah. And I turn the wheel, and we roll into the cornfield. Everyone's kids are bleeding, crying. Ah! Of course, the two guys were there. We flip it back up and say, get on, quick. We're going to get caught. And we get out of there. 
My cousin, who is the other driver, always arguing to drive, he's like, let me drive, you're dangerous. I'm like, I'm not dangerous, it's my turn. And I go around this, ra- this track we have at Grandpa's house, and we're coming down, and I kid you not, I see the hole in the cornfield, I go, hey guys, that's where we crashed. And when I turn around and talk, I turn the wheel, and you know what happens? I go further into the cornfield, because there's less corn in my way. <laughs> that's a true story. Why? I wasn't looking where I, I should have had one job. If I had seen my kids behave that way, they'd be in so much trouble. What were you thinking? Listen, how many of us want to move forward, but we're constantly looking back? It's dangerous, isn't it, to do that? So Paul says, uh, what do I do? I forget what's behind, and I, I, I look forward. I move forward. Um, that's Paul's... Uh, um, Advice. I lean into the future, he says. One thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what's ahead in Christ Jesus. Paul's future focused all the time. No matter how much good has happened, he's leaning into the future. That's where Paul is going. There's a great proverb. Um, don't turn there, but it's, it's uh, 2918. You can write it down, look it up later if you want to. And it says this Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And I'm like, that's interesting. But my favorite translation of this goes like this. Without vision, the people perish. It means vision's a life or death situation. If you're not watching where you're going, you're going to die. Like my three-wheeler, right? Like you're going to die. Watch where you're going. But then the word says this, but blessed or happy is the one who keeps the law. What does that mean? That means if you can see a bigger picture of what God's doing in your life, you can have some tenacity for the future. You're looking forward. The, 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 the God's big picture is the vision for our life, and we're invited to look deeply at it. Proverbs, a book full of wisdom. See, it can be a life or death issue. I wonder, church, are you dying in some part of your life because you have no vision for the future? Or have you given up because you've tried and failed and you've just given up on a future? I'm not sure what's worse. Maybe you're stuck in the past. Maybe there's that one thing you kind of go back to over and over again. Proverbs 13.22 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Constantly longing for something that never comes makes us physically ill inside. But then it says this, But when fulfillment comes, it's the tree of life. When the hope is met, it's the tree of life. It brings life into our lives. When these things were fulfilled, listen to me. God is the great promise keeper. He's the only one worth following. Here's the truth. 2020 is going to happen either way. But what are you going to decide to do? Now, I already said, I mean, you do goals if you want to do goals. But you know what? what uh, next week, we're talking about bigger visions for your life. Beyond this year, beyond the next five years, the, the, the looking down the road and, and starting to get a vision for what you want to, who you want to be in this life. And it might surprise you when you think deeply about it that the things you pursue are not the things that bring about the things that you want. We'll talk about that next week. I was, um, I was, you ever drive somewhere in your car and then all of a sudden you're there and you don't know how you got there? Like usually it's home, right? You're just like, I'm going home. Or, or maybe you got in a car with somebody and you're just going somewhere and they go, where are you going? You're like, oh, I was going to work. I didn't think about it. Just, right, got a path you've beaten down in life. I heard a police officer be investigating a, a crash on the side of the road, and it was a local road, a two-lane road, and the officer said this to the reporter. They, they said, this is kind of surprising. This is a pretty slow road here. And he goes, not surprising at all. He said, most, 
crashes happen on the roads we travel the most because we become complacent. We think, I've been down this road before. I got this. I can do my eyes closed. And then we crash. See, familiarity doesn't automatically mean good things are happening. Sometimes the familiarity are bad things, things that we've kind of dragged in from our past, habits, old habits that we've brought in. We're not even thinking about them anymore. Um, Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, after talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, he says this, uh, remember Lot's wife. Isn't that funny? Jesus says the kingdom of God's going to come like this, like that fast. And, and just like in the days of Noah, he says, and just like days of Lot, everybody's like, ah, oh, it's going to be like this forever. We've got all the time in the world. And he's like, but it's going to happen that fast. And he goes, remember Lot's wife. And he says this. This is Jesus' interpretation, by the way, of the text. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if you're going to give up all the things you think you have to have to follow Jesus, you're going to find life. But if you're going to try to retain that old life, you're going to die trying. You're going to die trying. And it's not going to matter. Remember Lot's wife. See, all this talk is about sin and destruction and ways forward. And I'm, I'm going to do a simple thing today. I just want to invite you to follow Jesus in your life. 2020 might be your year. And maybe you say, yeah, I've done that before. I've committed. Listen, just hit your wagon to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to go wherever you're going to go. I'm going to demonstrate some faith confidence in the places you're taking me. I know where I've been. I know I'm not perfect. And I know I'm going to screw up 2020, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be right behind you. And, and you lead me. Maybe that's you today. You've not done that with your life. And I'm telling you right now, it's not a church thing. It's not a family Bible church thing. It's, not about, it's about you and your life with Christ. Are you following him every day? Then you ask the question, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, this is probably why we read the Bible, because we have a demonstration of what he did. So you start reading, you go, I don't live like that at all. Like, that's my confession. Oh, I don't really read the word. What do I have to do? I have to change then. I have to repent and be formed to God's word to be like Jesus. We prayed that this morning in our song. I want to be holy, holy, holy like you are. See, the truth is we get caught up in the immediate things in our life and we don't focus on the ultimate things of our life. We need to focus on the ultimate. We need to look way down the road. Big plans of what God is doing. So I want to invite you to follow Jesus. If, if you uh, make that decision today, I would encourage you to check. By the way, we didn't mention that this morning, but the connection cards on the bottom of your engagement sheet, fill it out. Uh, check the box if you want to begin following Jesus. And that don't mean, and maybe you say, I've followed Jesus before, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to follow Jesus again. I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. So check the box. We just want to be praying for you, that God would continue to bless you and move you forward, and whatever that looks like for you. And, and any way we can help you and support you in that, we would love to do it. There's some other next steps of faith you can take in there. Being baptized as a believer in Christ. If maybe you've you know, been following him for a long time, you've never been baptized, hey, maybe it's time. Be baptized as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in him. Find a place to serve around Family Bible Church or beyond. You know, when I say Family Bible Church, I mean like you know, in the food pantry or in the community somewhere, at the relevant pregnancy center, or, or somewhere else we haven't thought of yet. Find a place to serve, to practice your faith, and to let God lead you in 2020. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to follow you again. I thank you so much that, uh, you know, sometimes it, the calendar change is nothing but a number on a page, and yet sometimes it's a chance to be called again, to remember again, and to follow you again. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as you lead us, that we would be following after you. And I pray more than anything else, Father, that if your Holy Spirit is working in someone's life this morning, and maybe today, while we were talking, there's that thing in their past that they can't quit picking at, they can't quit looking at. I pray, Father God, that by your power and in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would be set free from that. 
that we would be able to, to follow the Apostle Paul's instructions and leave it behind and follow you forward. We know you're the Redeemer. We know that you make evil good. You transform us. So, Father, would you do that work? And then, Lord, today, as we commit our lives to you, may we lean into 2020. May we reach forward with you and just see what you have. Pray against the false expectations of all we can accomplish and the simplicity of just walking with you. May you be glorified as your church follows you and the people say, amen.